I'm recording this message at exactly 10.06 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 13th, 2022, which means that you are currently listening to a message from your past, which means that I'm currently sending this message to my future. There isn't anything too unusual about that. That's what every recording you've ever heard has been. But what if there was a way to do it the other way around? What if you could receive a message from From your your future? future? This is only a test. This is only a test. This is only a test. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Uncover Up, our first episode of the year 2022. Uh, with me, as always, is... Professor Nathan Radke. Hi, Nathan. The co-host with the co-most. <laughs> and I am your other co-host, Lee Kunla. Nathan, what are we talking about today? Because you today have brought us some kind of weird, interesting stories from TikTok. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start off in an area that you're extremely comfortable with. Okay. But I'm going to combine that with an area that you're extremely uncomfortable with. Sounds horrible. Yeah. No, it should be really interesting. Okay. Because you are extremely comfortable in the world of science fiction. I am. I like it a lot. Uh, who, are your, who are some of your favorites? Oh, that's hard. Um, Arthur C. Clarke, some of his less well-known works are a lot of fun to read. Uh, City in the Stars. Xi Xin Liu, who wrote The Three-Body Problem, he's a Chinese author who um, just sort of exploded on the scene a couple of years ago. That was a lot of fun. Samuel R. Delaney. Yeah, okay, look, this this could go on for quite a while here, so... Uh, and, of course, for me, I'm all about uh, Stanislaw Lem yes, and of Carl Chopik. Yeah, no, Stanislaw Lem. And part of the reason that we love sci-fi is it, it's, it's like an intellectual sandbox where you can play with ideas and thought experiments, hmm. like artificial intelligence or uh, cloning, teleportation, interstellar travel, alien civilizations... As a professional ethicist, it's it's great because you can come up with all sorts of ridiculous, like bizarre situations that you can then use to test ethical theories. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 like a a thought experiment with you know interesting characters and plot development, and it's fun. Yeah, and one of the great thought experiments that you can do in the world of sci-fi is discuss time travel. Time travel. Time travel. I do like the time travel narratives you got to be careful because they don't always work i would Um, say they almost never work they almost never work and but they can still be quite charming and i gotta admit i do sometimes wonder about traveling back in time and putting some money in on the stock market or you know uh or you could interest account or something that is the most i would not read that novel (laughs) no i would put it in a novel this is what i would actually do what, what Lee would actually do if he could go back in time is he would go back and convince himself not to get a Volkswagen camper van. That's certainly true. Yeah. So you're very comfortable in this sort of world of science fiction and uh, intellectual sort of sandboxes and thought experiments. However, I'm going to say that you're probably less comfortable in the world of social media and particularly the world of TikTok. Yep. Well, I don't even know if I'm not comfortable... I never made a TikTok account. If we exclude YouTube, the last social media platform I had anything to do with was Facebook. And that was ages ago. And I was like, this sucks. And I'm out. 
So uh, I was actually going to see if you wanted to explain to people very quickly what TikTok was. And I'm still kind of curious to hear that. They're little videos, aren't they? Like homemade videos that are like, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute. They're like, I think of them almost like extended memes, uh, where the meme was just a kind of, you know, a still image. And now the TikTok is like with animation or whatever. It's people doing stuff. It's not bad. It's not bad for somebody that, who's never been on it. That's as far as I've gotten. The movable meme. Yeah, because they are very short videos. Uh, a couple other key things about TikTok is that unlike YouTube, where you go out searching for things, uh, on TikTok, you just have sort of a for you page and videos okay. just sort of show up there. Oh, do they? Okay. Based on what the TikTok algorithm thinks you want to see. Right. And I will say, because I've used TikTok for research purposes, the algorithm is terrifying. And the moment when I realized how terrifying the algorithm was, was when it gave me a video of a woman from Afghanistan drawing a cartoon of Mothman. Whoa. There are some really talented people who are doing some impressive TikToking. Uh, like our former host of yep. uh, The Uncover-Up, Elena Papianis, uh, has some amazing TikTok videos. Yeah, very good stuff. I actually know that because I saw one or two. You know, so I, it's not like I haven't ever seen a TikTok video. Yeah, I mean, Lee's seen a TikTok, everybody. Don't yeah. worry. Everybody calm down. I know about this TikTok thing. Lee knows TikTok. <laughs> well, one of the things that's happened on TikTok recently is that we have had a TikTok time traveler. Oh, okay. So in August of 2020, a TikTok user with the handle that one time traveler with the profile description, yes, I'm a real time traveler, so you know they were, they were legit, they started posting videos to the social media platform, claiming to have traveled back from the year 2485. They would go on to gather over 1 million followers and over 14 million views as of this recording. So they claimed that they were the owner of a company in the future named Aura, and that their company had perfected time machine technology. Uh, their videos were short because, of course, it was TikTok videos. And over the next year and a half, the user posted over 100 of them. And they all had a kind of a similar style. The visuals uh, would be taken from movies or stock footage or just sort of generic clips of nature or whatever. There's no voiceovers to these. Instead, there's text printed over top of the clips. Interestingly, the text is totally understandable. So I guess the English language hasn't changed much in 420 years, <laughs> other than uh, apparently grammar and punctuation getting a little looser. The best way for someone to prove that they're from the future is to make predictions that then come true. And the time traveler, the TikTok tra time traveler, makes several claims in the videos that we can test for accuracy. So this is great news for us. Falsifiability is such a crucial way of testing anything. And this TikTok time traveler has given us all sorts of predictions, which we can then test. So you ready for some of these? All right, let's do it. Okay. So here's what's going to happen according to this person. Okay. Aliens, or Nyrons, as they're known in the future, will make contact on May 25th, 2022. Write that down. Write that in your calendar. All right. We'll attack them out of fear, causing an interdimensional war. Uh, the humans will build giant robot suits, just like the movie Pacific Rim, and a new kind of war is going to be waged. Now, immediately, we bump into uh, a detail about this that makes me... It sort of triggers my troll alert. <laughs> okay. Because which planet do you think the aliens are from? I'll give you a hint. It's the most hilarious planet. 
Oh, from Uranus. Yes. Uranus. Yes. They come from Uranus. They come from Uranus. <laughs> How do you, you pronounce it? Uranus? Yeah. That's bad too. Is it? Uranus. Uranus. It's, That's what we should say. It's worse than Uranus. Uranus is bad. Uranus is bad. Uranus is, I think, a Uranus. little dignified. But nobody's going to know what you're talking about. We've gotten very sidetracked. Yeah. They're from Uranus. They're from, they're from Uranus. Uranus. Now, we're recording this before May 25th, 2022. We can't test that one yet. Right. Okay. But the fact that it's Uranus makes me suspicious because, again, of the hilarity of the name, but mostly because of the inhospitability. Or inhospitableness? The fact that it's very it's difficult not, to live yes, on, it's not hospitable. on Uranus. Um, it's, it's not a planet that you would think would be the kind of place where life as we understood it could exist. Right. Even though we can't test that one, it seems a bit also, it seems a bit sus. Sorry. Also, very close to home makes me also a little suspicious because why have we not detected signals from that planet? Radio waves, light waves, some something clearly not natural but synthesized by some kind of intelligent being. I mean, that you know, we could say we we haven't made contact with advanced alien civilizations like us or similar, we could argue, let's imagine, sorry, that they exist. And then we could say, well, we, we haven't made contact with them because they're very far away. Oh, we haven't noticed them because they're, you know, out there. Among yeah, billions they might be hundreds of light of years away. Exactly. If they're that close, like... As close as Uranus. <laughs> um, Sigh. But I feel like they should have been noticed. Yeah, because that's basically, that's our neighborhood. There's like next door. Yeah. I mean, from an, uh, from an astro, astronomical perspective, yeah. all of the planets in our solar system are so much closer to us than anything else. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of issues with that, but okay, we can still wait to see if it's falsified yeah. or verified. Uh, between 2020 and 2022, a massive wave will hit the West Coast of America. That hasn't happened yet. We still nope. have time. Okay. COVID-19 vaccine will be developed. Oh, when did this prediction come out? Like at the end of 2020. Like when we already had a COVID vaccine. Yeah, when we yeah, already okay. had. So that one's, that one's true, but not that impressive. Right. Does it count as a prediction if everybody already knows the thing that you're predicting? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They, <laughs> they were not swinging for the fences on that one. But they were on this one. Signs of life will be discovered on Venus and Neptune. So mm. apparently our solar system is lousy with life. Right. Full of it, eh? And again, Venus is one of the most dangerous places imaginable. Like Venus is a kind of, like, it's a kind of hell. It's, it's got like a sulfuric acid atmosphere. Yeah. It's cool. It's a cool planet. What I think is especially interesting is it's not the closest planet to the sun, and yet it is the hottest planet. Yeah, it's rough um, there. And uh, there, there was a, like a satellite that was sent into and to take pictures of the planet and it managed to take a, like a couple of pictures before it just melted yeah so there are actually some pictures from the surface of venus yeah and it is not the kind of place again that you would expect life as we understand it right but i mean there's still time but it, it isn't looking promising so sorry it was venus and where else neptune neptune yeah okay. which has similar issues to that other planet that other planet yeah. uh also a new sea creature named the Alvalark, will be discovered, mm. three times larger than a blue whale. Okay. So 600 tons. Right. That's big. But I we, we discovered that in our Kraken episode. Yeah. I mean, we predicted that. They also predicted 
that something great was going to happen on September 24th, 2020. Yay! Okay, so that's already happened. That happened. What happened? Well, nothing. But on September 24th, the Traveler was more specific and posted that everyone should look up in the sky at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time to see a huge red star, half the size of Earth. But it would go by without causing any damage. Hmm. That would not happen. No. For one thing, a star... Like, if there was another star in our solar system, that would cause us tremendous difficulty. Yeah. That would be, like... A catastrophe the likes of which we couldn't even imagine. But obviously that didn't happen. That did not occur. There was not some kind of giant star that went through the sky on September 24th. No, and you'd have like gravity to worry about and heat. Yeah, and it, would, it would bend us out of our orbit. Yeah. And we need to be uh, in our orbit. Probably, some of us might get like sucked up to the star, depending on how close it is. Like if it's very big, its gravity would be bigger than ours. And... Well, yeah, I mean, even something that... Even half the size of Earth, even if it had half of the mass of Earth, that would still be enough to basically make massive tides. Well, yeah, no, if it's a star, and if it's half the size of Earth, what, you're probably dealing with... I mean, if it's dense... It's going to be super dense. In that case, it's going to have a mass many times of of the Earth, and it's going to just rip us out of orbit, and we're going to... So none of that... Okay, but anyway, (laughs) before Lee gets too worried, that didn't happen. It didn't happen. It would also probably stick around because we'd get caught in our gravitational field of the sun. I mean, we wouldn't stick around to see it. We would not stick around. So there was about 40,000 comments on the video. Many posted before the deadline from people who said that they were anxiously staring up at the sky. Some were posted at the deadline saying they didn't see anything. Uh, Some were posted from people who claimed they did see something. Uh No cap. And then lots of people were asking for videos of the star. Now, interestingly, there was an asteroid that passed by the Earth on September 24th. But rather than being half the size of the Earth, it was about 30 feet across. Right. So Which rather is, than, a bit, is a big thing for an asteroid. Sure. I mean, we don't want damage. that hitting us no, either. No, no, no. But I mean, rather than being 0. 0.5 of the Earth's size, it was approximately 0. 0.00000076 of the Earth's size. All right. So as far as predictions go, I'm going to call that one a fail. Yeah. Uh, They argue that in 2022, the Green Bay Packers will win the Super Bowl. Never going to happen. Good news for our Wisconsin listeners. No, it's not going to happen. I don't don't watch football at all. It's not going to happen. Huh. Take that, Green Bay. Uh, And the problem was, unfortunately, don't get too excited, Wisconsin listeners, because this time traveler also predicted that in 2021, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, and it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Also, at this point, I want to just sort of bring up the idea that somebody would come from the future yeah, and be talking about American football. Yeah. Like, Like what about some medicine that you could provide us with? Or like, they must have like great meds in the future. If things have been going, progressing as they have been over the last hundred years, who knows? There's other really, you know, important life-saving devices I'm sure they could impart. And this is 400... Can you tell me who won a game 400 years ago? No. Like, were we even playing? Yeah, exactly. Who cares? What games were they playing? Like, Uh, soccer hadn't been invented. American football, baseball hadn't been invented. Cricket hadn't been invented. When did they invent that game where you kicked the goat head around? Oh, yeah, that game in Afghanistan. Yeah. That's that's probably an old game. Yeah. But I can't tell you who won the Super Bowl of of that game 400 years ago. Uh, here's one that's going to worry you. In 20, This is one of your big fears. Mm. In 2026, an EMP will detonate in the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. You don't want that. Nope. 
But in 2020, they argued Donald Trump will be elected to a second term as president. Now, this was the moment where uh, uh, some people started to sort of get off the bandwagon. I see. And I read one comment that said, Welp, this was already a fail. I watched all the videos and was excited to think time travel may actually exist, and then I saw this one ruined it for me. Mm. Uh, They argued that on November 27th, 2021, a large star in the solar system would explode. Again, I'm not sure this person understands astronomy that well. Right. A large star in our solar system, that's the sun. Yep. That's the only star in our solar system. That's, That's how our solar system works. Unless people in the future refer to all heavenly bodies as stars like they used to do in the past. Or they're referring to like a celebrity. Oh, clever. Yeah, I mean, and they just, they were, they would explode. Yeah, did any celebrities explode? Um, I don't think so. Uh, On December 20th, 2021, eight humans would receive superpowers from the energy waves of the sun. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, making vitamin D is sort of a superpower, I guess, but we all do that. And on Christmas Day, 2021, something shocking would occur that would be remembered for centuries and change how humans live forever. How was your Christmas? It was kind of crummy. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we were diagnosed with COVID. Now, we're all fine. My wife had a few symptoms, but it meant that we had to quarantine for 10 days. And so two young kids and my wife and I got to spend our Christmas all huddled up inside our house with... with yeah, so Christmas was effectively canceled. And if something shocking had occurred, you would have noticed because yep. you were... Probably I had a lot of time on my hands. Yeah. Like a lot. So I'm going to have to say that for the most part, these predictions are pretty shabby. Yeah. And, you know, again, like we probably should have established this before we started going through the list. But, you know, what would count as a success? Certainly it's got to be more than 50%. Yeah. And uh, because at that point, you can just get this stuff through guessing. Yeah, Some I mean, of those things well, don't count as predictions because at the time that they were made, we already knew, like with the COVID vaccine, that something like that existed. But yeah, I'm not impressed. No. I mean, predictions are a numbers game. You make a huge amount of them. Yeah. And this person made a ton of videos in the hopes that maybe one or two comes true. Mm. And then people remember the ones you hit and they forget about all the misses. Although those, I, it feels like this person isn't even trying with like the star coming close and it's not going to do anything. And I don't know. There's yeah. easier, there's lower hanging fruit if you're going to make some predictions. Yeah, ultimately, I'm unimpressed. Here's a prediction. In the next couple of years, there will be more storms than there have been in the past. All right. That's, That's wonderfully vague. Yep. Right? It, because those storms could be weather storms. They exactly. could be political storms. Exactly, exactly. Which is one of the tricks of cold readers who are these people who pretend to be psychics and sort of... And what they do is they move between the metaphorical and the literal. So they try out something, and if it doesn't fit with the person they're talking to, oh, well, it was a metaphor. You know, it was like, yeah, we were talking about metaphorical storms, political storms. All right, so what are we saying about the TikTok time traveler? I think we're giving this person more due than many other skeptical people would who engage this video. I think so far there it's a fraud. Um, I don't, I mean, I just can't see just based on the predictions. This is, this is not going anywhere, but then we still have to talk about like the science and 
Oh, we'll get all to those that. other issues, which make me very skeptical about these claims. Even if all the predictions had hit, I would still be very skeptical. Although if all their predictions had hit, I would want some kind of explanation. Whereas the explanation that we have now is that it's just a hoax. Yeah. Yeah. If I could talk to this person, I would say, I think you have pulled these predictions out of Uranus. <laughs> all our education. All of our years of education for nothing. Um, okay. Where do we, where, so, so is that it then? Do I go home now? Is this the end of the podcast? No, because this isn't the only time something like this has happened. And right. it's happened in, in a more interesting way, in a more famous way. Because now I'm going to tell you the story of John Titor. Okay. Which is famous enough that it, it worked its way into pop culture, into video games and anime oh, yeah? and things like that. So the TikTok time traveler is not the first person to claim a, to be a time traveler. There was a famous AM radio program called Coast to Coast AM, hosted by Art Bell back in the day. Okay. And as of this recording, hosted by George Norrie. You ever listen to it? No. I, oh, although, you've got to check it out. Okay. I mean, I, you, in our business... I actually know of the host, and I know of the program, but I've not listened to it. No. Back in the, those early days, Art Bell, he wouldn't screen his callers. Now, you and I have done a lot of AM radio work. Yep. And imagine, imagine an unscreened caller show. <laughs> That'd be fun. It would be amazing. I mean, it was some intriguing listening. And he used to have one segment of the show where he asked time travelers to call in. Okay. And in 1998, somebody called in claiming to be, uh, somebody faxed in claiming to be a time traveler from the year 2036, so not that far off, and wrote the following. Dear Art, I had to fax in when I heard other time travelers calling in from any time past the year 2500 AD. Please let me explain. Time travel was invented in 2034. Offshoots of certain successful fusion reactor research allowed scientists at CERN to produce the world's first contained singularity engine. The basic design involves rotating singularities inside a magnetic field. By altering the speed and direction of rotation, you can travel both forward and backward in time. Unfortunately, it was also discovered that anyone going forward in time from my 2036 hit a brick wall in the year 2564. Please pray that we discover the reason why there is no apparent future after 2564. Hmm. So already I'm more impressed by this than yep. the TikTok one. Yep, me too. This person does have at least a hint of some kind of theoretical physics yeah. behind their explanation. At least enough to, to make it to make people like me have their eyes glaze over and be like, okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, exactly. Science Rotating singularities, magnetic field. I mean, that's sciencey. That's sciencey. Now, this traveler also, of course, made a variety of predictions. And this was all done in message boards. This was all done through faxing on, on the radio. This person never came forward. They never called in. We never heard their voice. Okay. So here are some of their predictions. Y2K is going to cause mass chaos. It's going to result in shutdowns of the electrical grid. Thousands of people are going to freeze to death. What year was this? This was 1998. Oh, okay. So we got to call that one a swing and a miss. Right. We lived through Y2K. It's one of the many apocalypses that you and I have lived through. Yeah. And nothing. I remember being slightly worried about it and also kind of ready for it. I had a really crummy job, like a factory job. And I was like, yeah, this, this Y2K this. is going to be my salvation. Let's burn this place down. <laughs> so after that happened, the government would then institute martial law and a communist government would emerge from the chaos. Uh -huh. 
in 2004, there was going to be a civil war in the United States. The war would drag on until 2015, at which point we would have World War III. Hold on. When is that going to happen? 2004 Civil War. Oh. It's going to last for 11 years okay. until 2015, and then it just spirals off into World War III. Right. Because I was like, if that, if that prediction were in 2024, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'm something. a bit worried. <laughs> and I think this sort of really dates the specific time in which this person was claiming to be a time traveler, because yeah. they were very concerned about mad cow disease. Ah, uh, yes. Remember mad cow I disease? I remember mad cow disease, yeah. Yeah, it was going to be a massive healthcare crisis. It was going to kill hundreds of thousands of people. As far as predictions go, those aren't very good. No. None of those came true. No. So the Traveler would be a, a frequent contributor to the show, always faxing in. And the fact that he was faxing in, again, like I can't imagine somebody from the future coming back and immediately being like, faxes. Fax machines. I gotta send some faxes. This is 98. Email was available. Yeah. In the year 2000, somebody started posting to the Coast to Coast message board. Uh, this was before social media, under the name time travel underscore zero. The content and style was very similar to the earlier faxes, and so people have assumed that it was probably the same person mm. or the same group. Another one of the message boards they posted to was on the Time Travel Institute webpage, which still exists. And I've spent a lot of time on it this week, and we're going to discuss it more later in the episode. The, the poster started going by the handle John Titor, this is where we get this name, and made the following claims. He was a soldier sent from the year 2036. In 2036, a computer virus was going to devastate the world, and he was going back to the year 1975 to pick up an IBM 5100 computer to bring to the future with him, because that was a computer that had an operating system that would have predated the ability of the virus to oh, infect. Okay. Uh, again, it's kind of interesting. He he knows something about something, at least. And he was just stopping by in 2000 to visit his three-year-old self. <laughs> which, Cute. Yeah, it's adorable. Uh, the poster was very active on the message boards. People were extremely interested in what he had to say, and they would pepper him with questions, and, and he tended to reply to other posters. He even supplied some grainy photographs of his time machine. Mm. And I've looked at them. They're kind of hard to make out, but you can see a lot of old school analog dials and readouts and like switches and wires. It, it looks like the sort of, like when I'm building a guitar pedal, Right. It, it sort of looks like that. Okay. So again, not particularly futuristic. And ultimately, again, almost none of these predictions came true. However, in his last forum post, March 24th, 2001, he hinted at the reason that these didn't come true. For example, Y2K. Y2K didn't happen. It wasn't a disaster like he said. Yeah. Do you know why it didn't happen? Because he had predicted it and then put it out into the world and then people fixed it so that it wouldn't turn into the big disaster. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> yeah, he hinted in his last message that he had actually prevented it from happening, thereby saving the world. And the story got a lot of traction in the online community. This is sort of the early days of the internet, mm. things like message boards. And lots of people defended Titor. There's still, you can find a lot of web pages devoted to him. Um, and it gets even stranger than that. Because in 2006, a computer programmer named Marlon Pullman filed U.S. patent application number US2006-0073976A1. So you can look that up. Okay. Method of gravity distortion and time displacement based on the descriptions Teeter provided of his time machine. So somebody actually applied for a patent for a time machine based on Teeter's descriptions. I, I've looked at this. 
patent. This patent. Yeah. Now, here's where we should probably point out. I know very little about quantum physics. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I know very little about quantum physics and cosmology and the physics of time as such. I mean, the thing is that I'm like an avid amateur student of this stuff. But before we went on air, Nathan and I were both talking about how we have zero math skills. So there's one thing being kind of conceptually fascinated by some of these ideas and even being able to say some of the words, maybe even correctly occasionally. And then there's something else with knowing the math and really understanding the science and the reasoning behind it. And that's where both Nathan and I are completely out of our depths. And, and I tried to look at this patent and I, I was getting the, like, I was like, I don't think this makes any sense, but I don't know enough about it to know if it makes sense. But right. yes, fortunately, we know people who are smarter than us. Yes, we do. And um, so I contacted one of our good friends and friend of the show and just all around swell, sweet guy yeah. and impressive galaxy and a, and a, mind. And a brainiac. And a brainiac. Yeah. Professor uh, Leo DeLeo. So I, I sent uh, Professor DeLeo this, this, this patent and asked him to read it. And he said that it gave him a headache. Okay. He said, quote, it was a flood of overwhelming disparate ideas thrown together in one paper. It's like a collection of the greatest hits of terminology and concepts from 100 years of modern physics cobbled together to fit a narrative without attention to nuance. Okay. He also argued that the entire claim was based on the idea that the author of the patent had figured out a grand unified theory. Oh. And that hasn't happened yet. Although the author later stated that this is, quote, an engineering problem that is in the process of being solved. Okay. I like the optimism. <laughs> like, imagine if you were trying to patent a flying machine 200 years ago, yeah. and you're like, well, I mean, the, the process of actually flying it is in the process of being solved. And, and be you, fine. Would, you would actually be right. Yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't get a patent for it. No. Yeah, and this didn't really fly down to the patent office. It was turned down. And also, it's riddled with spelling, grammar, and equation errors. Right, okay. That's, I mean, it's interesting, but it doesn't really help us... It doesn't provide evidence that John Titor is on the level. No. And there's some other non-scientific stuff. Let's, let's get into an area that's more comfortable to us again. Okay. Okay, so here we have a time traveler. Yep. He's, he's shown up at like 1998. Mm -hmm. And he's there until March of 2001. Uh-huh. And there's something he never mentions. <laughs> something that he could have brought up. Something he could have told us about. Yeah. yeah. In March of 2001. Yeah. What did he what did he not mention? Uh 9/11. Yeah, that's kind of a big oversight there. Yeah. Like I feel like if I'm going back to 2001, I would think, "Oh, you know what I want to do." Especially because with 9/11, the whole thing was that we didn't see it coming. Right? Is that like, okay, I mean the CIA, the CIA saw it coming. Yeah, exactly. The CIA and the FBI both had, you know, bits of information that that they, you know, in retrospect they should have acted upon. But if there was a clear indication that you could make to people higher up, you're like, this terrorist attack is happening on this day. I feel like that would be a big thing to mention. Or just say, hey, guys, you know what? I'm from the future. Here's a tip. Lockable cockpit doors. Right. Better terrorist protocols. So that that's a, I mean, imagine yes, you, could yes, have, exactly. you could have prevented 9-11. You could have prevented the Iraq war. Yeah, like just and the, the Afghan war. And the Afghan war, the, the horrors of the last 20 years. Like, Tidor, come on, man. Yeah. 
I don't care about who won the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. I, it seems all very convoluted. Yeah. It's, it's very Baroque. These, these theories are just, there's just too much stuff here. And I guess that is the problem with, with uh, time travel also in fiction narratives, is that once you open that door to that possibility, kind of reason and sense start to break down. Well, I mean, time travel, even though there are many great time travel narratives in pop culture, mm. and and several of my favorite, I love Twilight Zone. It's my favorite right. TV show from okay. the 1960s. You, you can't start pulling at the strings of any time travel story, because if you do, it will inevitably fall apart. No, there's all these kinds of, these, these, these problems that emerge. And now we're going to... I've been dreading this part of the podcast, yes. and here we go. Here we go. We're going to talk about the science of time travel. All right. All right, so here, we are... We're, two non-scientists... Oh, boy. ...who really do... Not, who, who, who can't do math are now going to talk about maybe the hardest subject out there. Yeah. Let, let's do it. I feel good about this. Right. <laughs> okay. We are way out of our depth here. Yeah. But fortunately, everyone in my family is smarter than I am. Okay. And I have a relative who has actually a good grasp of this stuff and has been helping me out with the theory. So I want to shout out Silas for this next section. Thanks a lot, Silas. It's Thank been you, Silas. Big help. So here's what Silas has to say. Basically, the universe has a speed limit. Mm-hmm. And that speed limit is 300 million meters per second. That's the speed that light travels. It's about seven times around the Earth in one second. According to Einstein's theory of special relativity... Weird stuff happens around the speed of light. If I'm driving a convertible car at 50 kilometers an hour, and somebody in my car throws a ball ahead of us at 50 kilometers an hour, then from our perspective in the people in the moving car, that ball's moving away from us at 50 kilometers an hour. But from somebody standing on the road as we drive by, that ball is moving at 100 kilometers an hour, 50 kilometers from the car and 50 from the throw. Mm. And that's how physics works. So far, so good. But if the car is moving almost the speed of light, say just one kilometer per hour slower than the speed of light, and we turned our headlights on, from our perspective, the light would still move away from the car at the speed of light. Mm. But the person who's standing at the side of the road watching it, it would look like the light was moving slowly away from the car at one kilometer an hour. Because we're going one kilometer per hour slower than the speed of light. And so from the person who's standing still, they see light going at the speed of light and us moving at one kilometer an hour slower than the speed of light. Yes. From our perspective in the car, the light shoots off at the speed of light. Because relative to the observer, light always has to travel at the speed of light. Exactly. Does always travel at the speed of light, no matter which way you're facing and no matter which way it's going. And no matter how fast you're going, even if you're going one kilometer an hour slower than the speed of light. It's still going at the speed of light. From your perspective. From my perspective. From a person who's watching it outside of the car, the car is moving at almost the speed of light, and so the light is moving away just a little bit faster than the car. So here's the problem, though. Obviously, that's messed up. How can the light be moving away from the car quickly and slowly at the same time, depending on your perspective? Well, I like the way Silas explained this part to me. In order to make the universe not break from this contradiction... What happens is that time breaks instead. The closer you get to the speed of light, the slower time passes for you relative to people moving slower than you. The light still appears as though it's moving at the speed of light away from me as I drive at almost the speed of light because time slows down for me 
so it would look like the rest of the world was played in fast forward. Yeah, okay. So if you traveled at almost the speed of light for a day, and I didn't, at the end of what seemed like a day to you, thousands of days would have passed for me. Mm-hmm. You would look about the same as you do now, and I'd be a confused old person complaining about how modern music has no melody and everything is more expensive than it used to be. Yeah. After a day for you, from your perspective. Right. So that gets us traveling forward in time. Yes. There's time travel. Yes. Theoretically possible. Theoretically possible. Well, not even theoretically possible. We verified it experimentally, is my understanding. Yeah, and it's, so, and it's even happened to that cosmonaut. Exactly. So um, in my research for this episode, I discovered that there is a word, world record holder for the furthest time travel, and that is uh, held by the cosmonaut Sergei Krikalev, who went 0.02 seconds into his own future because he was a certain distance away from the Earth, traveling at a certain speed, actually for quite a long time. And that amounted to his, not just perception, but his in his world, time slowed down over that period by 0.02 seconds relative to time on Earth. Yeah. And so, you know why that happened to him? Well, you were saying because there was a revolution that yeah, took he, place. His, the Soviet Union dissolved while he was in space. Yeah, so it was bad timing. So they couldn't bring him down they because couldn't... there was no country anymore. So he was up there for like 809 days or something, right? I mean, he has spent 800 days in space altogether. Okay. But the longest he was up was 311 consecutive days. Wow. So almost Which was twice as long as he was supposed to be up there almost because the Soviet Union sent him up. Right. And then he comes back and his country's gone. Yeah, exactly. That's what traveling 0.02 seconds into the future means. The <laughs> yeah, country yeah. disappears. I mean, it's weird. In, in a way, that guy did travel through time. But the problem is, all of that, like that, that bizarre situation only got that guy ahead how many seconds? Yeah, 0.02 seconds. Right, so barely because noticeable. we can't go even... So the theoretical part is, as I understand it, is that there is this speed limit for light, but... We can't get anywhere close to it. So we do, you know, things do travel that fast, light and electromagnetic signals. They can travel that fast, but we are unable to accelerate objects, man-made objects, human-made objects, I should say, uh, anywhere close to it. Well, we can't even get to like a tenth of the speed of light. No, we just actually had something go the fastest any human-made creation has ever gone. Oh, Yeah. It was that solar probe, because as it was hurtling into the sun, it achieved a speed that was basically faster than anything we had ever wow, done before. Okay, okay. And it was still nowhere even remotely, it wasn't even a fraction of a percent of the speed right. of light yet. Yeah. So it, that's the kind of thing where it's like, well, you might be able to travel significantly into the future relative to, you know, into the relative future, because your experience of time remains the same. It's just when you get back to the place that you left their experience of time is different from yours. And so it's the future. And the other way that Silas explained to me the problem with this is that the closer you get to the speed of light, the greater the energy required to accelerate. And when you get really close to the speed of light, the energy required approaches infinity. Yeah. An infinite amount of energy is required. And also mass increases. Yeah, because the, the gravity field generated by that amount of kinetic energy means that your mass increases again to the point of infinity, to the point of infinity, which makes the speed of light actually impossible to reach as far as we understand. Right. And I like to think of this 
So my metaphor for this is absolute zero, which is when, if you understand temperature as being simply a description of the movement of atoms and molecules in a body, that, you know, the quote-unquote hotter things are, the faster those things are moving, and the cooler the body is, it's because of the atoms and molecules within it is moving slowly. So absolute zero is when the atoms have stopped moving. Now, you can't then get below absolute zero. There is nothing left because if what temperature is measuring is merely the movement of atoms and the atoms have stopped moving, how do you get less movement than no movement? You can't be more still than still. Exactly. And so you can't be more cold than absolute zero. And in the same way, kind of metaphorically, or, or as an analogy, you can't go any faster than the speed of light. My understanding of this last section is that what we have established is that time travel into the future is possible. It has, in fact, been experimentally verified. But that time travel into the past is not possible as we understand it from physics today, at least Nathan and I's poor, you know. I mean, I tried to get into the wormhole discussion and... I got. I was all caught up on entropy and the second law of thermodynamics. I'm and, always uh, caught up on entropy. And how, and it's something called the past hypothesis, which assumes that the world was less, had less entropy in it before than it does now. It got messy, and it got me no further to understanding any of this. Well, so your your investigation into entropy got messy. Ha ha ha! Uranus. <laughs> But anyway, the point is that we can't go back in time. Yeah, I mean, we can't help but go forward in time. Yes, we've, but then... We've already done it in this podcast. But then also... We go forward in time one second per second. That's right. We move at the speed of time. But then there is this notion that you could move faster by this kind of these speed of light things. Yeah. Stephen Hawking also said, after vehemently resisting the concept of time travel for a lot of his life, I think in the 90s came around and said, okay, there is no physical law that would make it impossible under certain circumstances to travel back in time. But it would be so cumbersome. You know, it's, it is on the order of you need close to infinite energy and, you know, you need like a cylinder that is infinitely long, that is rotating. So, you know, it's not the kind of thing that you can put together in your basement, even two or 300 years in the future. Now, I should point out that before we started recording, Lee and I actually had a bit of a quantum discussion about quantum entanglement and spin and whether it would be possible for information to pass between two entangled particles faster than the speed of light and we almost immediately both ran out of brain. Yes. So now we can get into a more comfortable area. <laughs> and that area is the philosophical implications of time travel. Oh, that's what a relief. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So forgetting all the physical issues, let's talk about some of the philosophical implications of time travel, because the amazing thing here is that time travel introduces all sorts of terrible paradoxes. Yeah. A paradox, of course, being a situation that that can have no appropriate solution. Yeah. And the classic one. Let's start with this one. It's the one everybody loves, everybody knows. You kill your own father. Kill your own father. Right. Grandfather. Sure. Whatever. So you go back in time. You kill your grandfather before your grandfather has any kids. Right. 
Why is that a problem? Why is it a problem if you went back and killed your grandfather when he was a boy? Because of causality. My grandfather gave birth, well, he did not, but had an, had an important role in, in producing my father. Without my grandfather, there could not have been my father. And since without my father, there could not have been me, there could then also not have been anybody that killed my grandfather. Therefore, your grandfather wasn't killed. Correct. Which means that he then had your father who had you. Right. Who then went back and killed your grandfather. Which is not possible. Which means that your grandfather never had your father, which meant that you never existed. Right. Which meant that your grandfather wasn't killed. Right. And ad, ad nauseum. Yes. So that's the classic grandfather paradox. And, and basically, there's a ton of different versions of that. Yeah, my favorite that I encountered in my research was, and I wish I could remember more of the details of who uh, came up with this example, was somebody falls in love with a woman that turns out to have been himself who had undergone... Uh, sex reassignment surgery. Sex, thank you, sex reassignment surgery, and was unrecognizable to himself. And then the, the thought experiment muses further, well, what if he then had a child who then goes back and kills himself? That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was that great Futurama episode where one of the characters goes back, accidentally kills his grandfather, and then without knowing it, uh, that it's his grandmother, has sex with his grandmother and becomes his own grandfather. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's that stuff. And, and then that brings us to the other great paradox, the closed causal loop. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's a classic example of the closed ca causal loop. Imagine you're sitting at home, and then all of a sudden, bloop, you appear from the future. Mm. And you say, Lee, it's me. It's future Lee. I want to give you the plans to this time machine that I've invented. Right. And so then you spend 20 years working on it, and then you turn it on, and you go back in time 20 years, and you say to yourself, Lee, it's me, future Lee. I want to give you these plans for this time machine. Yeah. So, who gave you the plans to the time machine? Exactly. Whoever invented the time machine, yeah, there's who, no inventor. There is no inventor, because you got it from future you, but you got it from past you, who got it from, from future you. Yeah. And so, again, we have this paradox. It's, it's sort of, uh, one sort of destructive and one is constructive, but they both have the same problem. Stephen Hawking wonders, if time travel is possible, why, where are all the time tourists? Ooh. And and so similarly, if time travel is possible, where are all our time paradoxes? They should be all over the place. Yeah. Like they they're just we should just be like in this mess of time paradoxes caused by all these irresponsible time travelers who keep, you know, like uh Homer Simpson what he steps on a butterfly and then like irrevocably changes the, the future of everything and now it like rains donuts and whatever. Yeah, based uh, on the Ray Bradbury story, The Distant Sound of Thunder. Oh, Ray Bradbury is another good shout out. Yeah. Where, wh now, why now, is all this stuff not happening? Where are the tours? Where are the paradoxes? What's going on? The argument that's often given philosophically is that if you go back in time to try to prevent something, something prevents you from something prevents you from doing it or like, you end up accidentally causing it to happen. Yeah, okay. So the future the the present that we're living in is already one that's been messed with by future time travelers. So if you go back and try to kill baby Hitler for example, like things are going to happen that basically prevent that from happening. Right. And then maybe you even do something that then causes the future as we know it to occur. Right. But I mean, and that's sort of tidy, but it's like, but we could send like thousands of people back 
who were super well trained. And it's like, okay, maybe you send one person back and they get hit by a bus. <laughs> but I can't imagine you send thousands of people back and there's thousands of buses running over thousands of right. future assassins. Like that would be noticeable in our history books. That'd be a weird day. Hey, remember that day when a thousand people with weird clothing got hit by buses? <laughs> so there's two solutions to this, I think, philosophically. Mm. One is the many worlds hypothesis. Okay, what which is, brings us back into un, the realm of physics we've tried to escape. So wh what's the many worlds hypothesis? That uh, at any juncture in which one or the other thing could have happened, both things actually happen by one universe splitting off into two, allowing... So maybe it's easier if I just make an example. So if I flip a coin, could really be heads or tails. Which one is it? Well... The many worlds hypothesis supposes that it's both. Yeah. And we only... New, new universes form. New universes form when I flip that coin and then one goes off in one direction, another goes off in another direction. And so there's an uh, uncountless number of universes emerging at any moment because, you know, all these different things could have happened. The many worlds hypothesis is fascinating. So I'm either going to have gyoza or shawarma for lunch. Yeah. And according to the many worlds hypothesis, the answer is yes. I am going to, there is going to be a Nathan that has gyoza and a Nathan that has shawarma. Maybe the Nathan that has shawarma chokes on it and dies. Right. But the Nathan who has gyoza continues to live. Or also chokes on it. And then there's another Nathan which didn't choke on either, but you know. Yeah, that's the thing about the many worlds hypothesis. Basically, every time you get into a car, that means that there's like billions of Lees getting into a car. Yeah. And a bunch of them are going to die in fiery crashes. Yeah. But then most of them make it. Yeah. And then does that mean from that many worlds hypothesis that eventually you'd get down to like one Lee, like the last surviving Lee? And then when that Lee dies, that's the end of all the Lees? It just breaks my brain. Like this, this is where I, this is where my research took me. I'm like up at. Up, up late at night last night. I'm like, I, I got nothing to say here. because. Well, that's what this Lee was doing, but right. who knows what all the other Lees were doing. Right, there's one out there who figured it all out. Yeah. Oh, that Lee is very impressed with himself right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Nathan in that world who... He's uh, slightly jealous. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I want to be that Lee. <laughs> Fortunately, I get to be this Nathan. Hello, this is Nathan from the other Nathan's future, but still from your past, that needs to interrupt for a moment. Past Lee and past Nathan got so worked up talking about the many worlds hypothesis that they forgot to explain how it gets around the grandfather paradox. Basically, it works like this. If there are multiple universes, then the question of... If you killed your own grandfather, then how were you born in order to go back in time to kill your grandfather? ...is answered easily. You went to a different but similar universe and killed your grandfather in that one. In your original universe, your grandfather still lived out his life normally and gave birth to your parent who then helped make you. And then you were able to go into a different universe and kill that universe's version of your grandfather. Of course, this means that from a multiverse perspective, it doesn't really ever make sense to bother killing anyone, since there would be so many other versions of them still running around in their universes. Anyway. Back to the OG Lee and Nathan. The other solution is much darker. Okay. But quicker. Yeah. Why aren't there future time travelers? Because humanity is wiped out before we can figure out time travel. Yeah. Wait. Or that's not possible. Isn't that a third option? That's another option. Which I guess less interesting. Mm -hmm. But 
I mean, I think that's the plaus- most plausible one. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably the most the most plausible, which also would mean that humanity will be wiped out before we figure it out, because we won't be able to figure it out because it can't be figured out. Right. Okay. Well, okay. Couple last things though, because we can still obviously learn something about us from these these events. The psychology of tra- time travel. Why do we want it so bad? Why are we so obsessed with it? Why are we so interested in it? And I think. I've spent a lot of time on the Time Travel Institute message board this week. Yeah. It's been a hell of a week. And and there's a ton of people on there who are claiming to be from the future. Okay. And one person said they were from the future. They they needed help. They said, I, I, I need your assistance. But just so you know, if you help me, your world will be blown. Like, your mind will explode. You, right. won't, you won't be able to figure it, like, what's happening. And a person replied... Many here are searching for ways to break our shackles, confining us to our dull world, myself included. Feel free to speak freely, elaborate more on the matter, perhaps we can help. Hmm. And there was something so sad about that. Yeah. The other thing, like both the past and the future are terrible. Yeah. The past is terrible because of the mistakes we've made. Because of the people that we've lost. We move forward in time at one second per second with the people that we love. Hmm. And then at some point, they stop moving forward a second per second, and they are stopped forever in the past. And as soon as you are one second in the future away from them when they die... That's it. And you recognize that. Yeah. You recognize what that means. You're moving forward in time, and they've stopped, Yeah. and you'll never be able to see them again. Yeah. And that's horrifying. Yeah, it is sad. I I think the the question about what's interesting about, or why, why does it fascinate us, I, maybe this is very personal, although it, it it relates to some of the philosophical ideas I was reading about, which is we have more knowledge about the past and the future. And there's something powerful about the idea of going into the past with that knowledge. I like that. Like, I was reading a book, again, I'm sorry, I forgot because I wasn't prepared to bring my whole reading list with me. And this was like last year, but there's... Uh, uh, the book takes uh, is about a woman who goes back by accident about 400 years into the past and sets up a coffee shop in Vienna because nobody's ever heard of coffee. And it ends up being, you know, fantastic. And she has, well, there it's, you know, it's a novel and there's a lot of different things that happen. But those are the kind of fantasies I think about. Like, I often imagine going like way back, you know, 10, 15,000 years and just being like, Man, I would know like so much stuff. Like I know all about farming. I was certainly relative to people who hadn't really started farming yet about like defensive construct. Like we could set it up. It would be really nice. No, no, you've got to sharpen the stick exactly. and then stab the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd be a genius. This guy's, look at this guy. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something appealing about being able to fix mistakes or take advantage of knowledge in the past. Uh, also, when I was a kid, when I heard the dinosaurs had become extinct in the past, I felt a, a sadness. It's like, I will never be able to yeah. see that. It, it's over. It's done. Yeah. Now, the future, on the other hand, is worse. Uh. Because you know what isn't in the future? What? Us. Well. Because we die. Yeah, but da, 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 don't be so pessimistic. I'm still going to stick around for a bit. Like, next year is still the future. Right. But I mean, like, the, <laughs> the future future. Like. Yeah. Like, like I'm probably going to kick it in like, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And that's optimistic. Okay. Yeah, I know. And so there's like going to be all of that time, this massive amount of time that I'll never get to experience that will exist without me in it. Yeah. 
So if we could travel into the future, then you could check it out and be like, yeah, this isn't actually worth yeah, experiencing it's, after it's all. It's lousy here, but I, at least I got to see it. In 2005, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, very fancy, they held a time traveler convention. They invited people from the future to come back for the event. Brilliant. They put invitations into little used library books. Okay. Which, yeah, because library books are forever. We're going to have libraries with books in them. Well, you say that in jest, but actually the printed word is the best way that we have yet invented for storing large amounts of information for long periods of time. It's too bad we've replaced it with the internet. Well, exactly. So, so there's, there's actually a worry among archivists what, what happens with all this information because not only are things like emails and whatever just simply being deleted, but all this information that we care about that if it's not being continuously copied, um, will disintegrate on the physical infrastructure that it's on within decades or at top centuries. Or get wiped out by an EMP. Yeah. Whereas the written word, I mean, we're still discovering books from 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, future historians might assume that we just all became illiterate. Yeah, we went to a dark age. Because that's actually one of the ways that that's one of the meanings of the Dark Age, is not that the people who were living through it were particularly dumb or dense, but that historians looking back have very little access because they There's didn't write much. stuff down. Yeah. So they put them into library books and they buried them in time capsules. They put coordinates in the invitations yeah. for the campus volleyball court <laughs> in case somebody needed to land the time machine. Uh, they specifically invited John Titor. Like, John Titor, come on back. Yeah. They were pro they promised chips and salsa, but it was BYOB. <laughs> and tragically, no time travelers showed up. Really? Yep. Oh, that's too bad. 